As I saw success with the combination of my diet and lifestyle and also pharmaceuticals, then I started to really appreciate modern medicine and feel really grateful for what we have access to. And I just told myself I am never ever going to discount it or avoid it or shame it because it helped me get my life back and then it helped me to get my first child. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for Performa. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode eight of season three with my friend, Haley Staley. (laughs) I take any opportunity to say your name because I remember before you were married and we were all like, but if you marry Bill, your name's going to be Haley Staley. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, no, no, I won't take his last name. And then you decided to. So I think you've been on the show more than once before, right? With and without Bill Mm -hmm. way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So You can find Haley at primalpalette.com or her Instagram for her own sharing with many more baby photos is at Haley Mason and we'll put links in the show notes. And I also want to just say that um, we're going to talk about a lot of medical stuff and concepts as it relates to both physical and mental wellness. And neither of us are medical professionals. This podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we definitely recommend that you consult a licensed service provider as both of us have done for both our mental and physical wellness, which are going to speak to experiences. And while we're not talking about food today, food plays definitely a big part in lifestyle and also just in enjoying life and positivity, which I think is one of the things that I love about how you approach food, Haley. It's um, a social activity for you and you are one of the best people at like making people feel good with food, if that makes sense. Like anytime I'm eating something that you've made, I feel your love. So (laughs) it makes so much sense that you guys launched foodsocial.io and you can find a whole bunch of recipe sharing from a community of people who are putting together a bunch of incredible recipe content, meal planning, all kinds of stuff with uh, one-click shopping and recipes that connect to all of that. It's really cool. And then of course, you also have your primal palette spice blends. And I'm a big fan of the breakfast blend. If nobody has tried that yet, that's my fave. And then your, your sweet blends are also really, really good, (laughs) especially in the fall. So, all right. But we're not talking about food today. A spoiler alert for our listeners. Um, We're going to talk about your story, but you do have two precious littles, including Isla, who's a toddler, and Luke, who is just a wee little babe. And we did a little time hop and recorded the Patreon first because he was nursing and burping, and it's cute to hear over there. So make sure (laughs) you pop over and listen to baby Luke, who hopefully will stay asleep for this show. And I remember visiting 
you all last summer when I was thinking about the time I felt like it was a couple months ago and I was like wait a minute you weren't pregnant with Luke it couldn't have been a couple of months ago Um, I actually was but I didn't know like early on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you ended up telling me shortly, like two weeks after we left, you were like, Oh my gosh, I took a test and I am pregnant, but we were having so many conversations because you were fascinated with Matt and I's ridiculous fertility, right? Like it was this like a flip flop of what you had experienced. And for me personally, I'm always just so uncomfortable talking about how our family started which was by accident, because I know how hard it is for so many people. And now as a foster adoptive mom, I recognize even more how many definitions there are of motherhood. And so I could tell from our conversation that you were on a path to add to your family at the time. And I love the journey that you've been on. And I think that it speaks a lot to just an overall journey of health and wellness. And I wanted to share some experts from an article on your website to introduce some of the things that I think will resonate with our listeners and give a little preview into what we're talking about. Because I do think that even if as a listener, you know, you're not thinking about your own ability to have a baby right now, either because that time has not come or that time is in the past or it's not something you're interested in. I think relevant to entire society, it's important for us to understand that this is an incredibly important and emotionally charged topic for so many and having empathy and compassion for what others may be going through is super important. So, One of the things that I read on your site that I thought was really powerful is you said, so how did we conceive on our own this time? You were referring to your second pregnancy with baby Luke, and you said, that's a good question. I've always said that I would never shame modern medicine again after doing all the things holistically and still needing a medication to heal from severe anxiety and needing IVF to have our first baby. I believe that the combination of conventional and alternative medicine Optimizing food and rest and vitamins while going through medical treatments is a wonderful path for success, and I believe you need to advocate for yourself and your health in both alternative and conventional medicine. I'm also very aware of the privilege to be able to afford alternative treatments, holistic practitioners, and supplements, and that there is a lot of work that needs to be done in our society to allow for these options to be available for everyone. Even on a budget, it's not an option for most Americans. I understand fears and concerns about medical interventions. However, I am grateful for my path, and I'm grateful I opened myself up to being educated more and in a different way than I had before. I am excited that we can discuss this because there's so much to unpack there. I agree so wholeheartedly in so many different elements of what you spoke to. So can you please introduce yourself to our listeners in this perspective? And I'm excited to kind of dive a a little deeper into what you meant by all that. Sure. Thank you. So yeah, so I, I have a significant history of anxiety. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when I was in elementary school that really impacted my life and my family's life. And so, you know, every time you have, you know, something going on with kiddo where you, you know, have to run to school or, or whatever, I, that, you know, kind of hits me in the heart because I, 
missed school and had a tough time going to school and staying in school because of anxiety when I was little. And my anxiety was pretty good for a long time. There are things now that I can recognize that I didn't know were, you know, a kind of an extension of my anxiety or, you know, some OCD that I was experiencing where I didn't have crippling anxiety, but there were things that were intrusive in my life that I was struggling with. And then right around when I got married, when Bill and I got married, I started experiencing some pretty severe anxiety. I actually tried to leave our wedding rehearsal because I had a panic attack and I didn't think I could go through with it. And it was awful. It was terrifying. And then I spent the entire wedding day getting ready afraid of having another panic attack. It was terrifying. So that was difficult. And then I was okay for a little bit. And then right around Bill's 30th birthday, which was right after Thanksgiving, things got really bad. And I, I pretty much spent a lot of, you know, years after that, just trying to figure out what was going on. And I, I did different protocols. I, you know, different diet protocols, different detoxes. I lost a ton of weight because I couldn't eat. And then I was following a really strict diet to try and heal the root cause of anxiety. So I, I saw different practitioners, different doctors. I, I started getting different diagnoses and nothing worked. I just kept getting worse actually. And so then I, I finally, decided to try a medication. I basically had hit rock bottom. I couldn't leave my house. I couldn't be alone, but I was only comfortable being with Bill or my mom. And I, I couldn't talk on the phone. I couldn't watch TV. All of these things were too stimulating. It just sent me into a massive like, state of uh, severe anxiety. And I, I just, we were Bill's sister was about to have a baby and I was like, I, I can't, I won't be able to live with myself if I can't meet this baby. And so that was like, that was a goal that I had in mind was to be able to meet our nephew and my sister was going to get married and I didn't want to miss their wedding. So I, I just, I had to make a change. What I was doing wasn't working. I was just getting worse and worse and worse. So I ended up finding a new therapist, that one that specialized in OCD because I felt like I had obsessive tendencies, but they were they weren't like like compulsions. It was more like a mental obsession. So I would just my mind would just obsess and obsess and obsess over these fears and I would have really debilitating intrusive thoughts. And so I found a therapist who specialized in OCD and a type of OCD that's like, it's called purely obsessive, I guess. So it's just like mental obsessions, not nothing that turns into like a physical compulsion where you're like something like you're washing your hands all the time or turning doorknobs a certain amount of time or flipping light switches. It was just all mental thoughts. So I started working with a therapist right around the time that I decided to try a medication and I think that the combination of the conventional approach along with me having all of the 
other things in place where like I had my diet in check and I was taking some supplements as well. I think those two things, plus I was so dedicated to getting better. Like I knew that there was something wrong. I was very aware that there was something wrong. And that's like, that's a whole other part, right? Where a lot of times with mental health issues, we don't, people may not know that there's something wrong or they don't know how to fix it or, you know, it's, it's difficult. And I feel very lucky that I was so aware that there was something not right and I wanted to fix it. And so I was, I was really motivated. I was motivated by my sister's wedding coming up. I was motivated by the birth of our nephew and I just, I wanted to get better so badly. So I think those having all those pieces really helped me heal. But like I said in my post, that's not accessible to a lot of people. So, you know, healthy food can be really difficult to afford. There's, you know, people who have a lot of children or they're on welfare or they they don't have access, you know, financially or due to where they live or they, you know, they're just working multiple jobs and they don't have time to cook. So there's a lot of factors. And I, you know, that's why I acknowledged my privilege that I, you know, we are able to work from home. I was, you know, we're able to cook all the time and we can afford healthy food. We can afford supplements. So I really, you know, I'm grateful that I had all those pieces in place that I feel contributed to my healing, but I'm also aware that there's work that needs to be done so that there can be access for everyone so that everyone has all of those pieces. I mean, even be, even the therapy part, like I have to pay out of pocket for my therapist because this was someone out of network for me who was the person who I thought would really be able to help me heal. So there's a lot of layers there. There's a lot of factors that contributed to my healing that I'm grateful for, that I always, that I also can acknowledge wouldn't be available to me if there were other circumstances in my life. I think what is also interesting is how that then led to your ability to take on like fertility treatments and different other concepts of medical intervention, right? Like being able to move through that anxiety was then kind of a positive outlet for being able to realize, because I knew when, so just for transparency's sake for all of our listeners, like we were super close years ago. Like I've, we've always felt really close with you and Bill, even though you Mm -hmm. guys didn't have children, like, it was almost like you guys were the aunts and uncles. You would come and visit our house. You guys had a photo shoot in our home. Like, we've always been close. I remember your anxiety leading up to your wedding and how much you wanted a family at that time and knowing mm-hmm. how much your anxiety was impacting you. So once you kind of moved through some of that healing, how did that then open up for your journey of creating a family? Yeah, so I I had originally gone down the fix the root cause of my anxiety path because I wanted to have a family. This all, you know, this all surfaced right after 
our wedding and we weren't, we really weren't ready to start a family right after we got married, but I always thought maybe like 29, 30, we'd start, you know, having a family or, you know, trying for a family. And as time went on, I just realized this is getting further and further away for me because I have, like, I, I didn't know how I was going to be able to drive again, let alone have a baby. So I, you know, I could barely even walk down the street without having a panic attack. And I, you know, I was like, if I can't drive, if I can't walk down the street without having a panic attack, I can't leave my house. I can't see my family. There's no, I can't have a kid. So I've always been someone who has been nervous about medical interventions and medications. And I was really, really scared to start a medication. I was terrified. I remember the first day, the first day that I took my first pill of my antidepressant, I laid on the couch and I didn't move. Like I didn't, I, I remember laying there with my arms stretched out and my legs stretched out and just like staring at the ceiling and being terrified to move because I was so scared of having side effects. And that also was the reason that I needed the medication so much was because my anxiety was so bad that I, you know, I was just completely paralyzed by having to take this medication and the fear of side effects. So once I got through that, and then a lot of the work that I did in therapy was exposure therapy, but it was different exposure therapy where it wasn't like, you know, you're afraid of spiders, so you're going to go hold a spider. It was, I'm afraid that I'm going to have a panic attack if I walk into the grocery store. So I'm going to walk into the grocery store and tell myself I'm probably going to have a panic attack and I'm going to do it anyway. And that was how I started breaking down those walls was doing that type of exposure therapy where it was all mental. Like I remember my therapist telling me to pretend like I was on fear factor. So like even, even getting in the car and starting to drive, I would just tell myself like, I might have a panic attack. I might not be able to drive. Like I might leave the house and be far away from Bill and be all alone. And I'm going to have a massive panic attack and I'm going to die. <laughs> and that those were things that I had to tell myself would happen or could happen to get my brain to shut off and to stop spiraling and obsessing over those thoughts. And it worked. And, and that's, that's also, those were the tools that I had to use when we started going through fertility treatments or when I started considering pharmaceuticals to help, to help us conceive. And as I saw success with the combination of my diet and lifestyle and also pharmaceuticals, then I started to really appreciate modern medicine and feel really grateful for what we have access to. And I just told myself, I am never ever going to discount it or avoid it or shame it because it helped me get my life back. And then it helped me to get my first child. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for, for pharma. <laughs> I'm so grateful for the pharmaceuticals and, and for modern medicine. It just, it gave me the two things that I wanted most in life. I love that. And I love that it 
was not one or the other, right? It was therapy with medicine, with lifestyle, with supportive loved ones who were encouraging you, right? Like all of these things come Mm -hmm. together to help you achieve what you want, but also this recognition that most people don't have all those um, advantages, right? Like most people are going to be limited, whether it's by funds or by supportive people in their life or, you know, whatever it is. And that that's why I think we in the wellness industry kind of have, have gone down two different paths of thinking about public health for all and Mm -hmm. how important modern medicine is for people who don't have access to, for example, all the supplements or the income for therapy or, you know, all of these kinds of things like, well, great. Then at least they have access to medication that might help them. And when Jen was on, we talked about how just a very low dose of anti-anxiety medication was kind of like a catalyst, a jump start for so many of the other things that she had been working on that weren't effective. And then like, once she had that, then it was almost like sparks for everything yeah. coming together. Right. And how much easier it was then to reintegrate a lot of the things in her life that she thought she couldn't. I'm curious in looking back now, for example, on your life as a detox post from October, 2015, how do you feel about it now? I know for me personally, for Jen, there are some things that my brain went to extremes on, on things that I did, like orthorexia with food and thinking that, you know, I had to limit so many different things. And then like you, it was like a snowball of, and now this thing, and now this thing, and now this thing, because I think I was putting that extra stress on my body versus like, trusting in it, you know, if that makes sense. And I'm wondering if in looking back, you have any of those thoughts and how that could have been contributing to or affected by the anxiety. Totally. It's, it's really overwhelming. And I definitely, I have a hard time doing anything super extreme or restrictive now because (laughs) It was, it's, like, I was the same way. It's like all or nothing. And now I have to be like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and now I'm just like, it, the, even the thought of it is exhausting to me. And I have to say like, Jen was one of my biggest supporters when I was starting medication. She was someone that I just, I talked to, we had some similar health stuff and she was someone that I connected with and I talked to a lot, pretty much every day. And she really encouraged me to start a medication. And she just was like, you have to break the cycle. Sometimes you just have to break the cycle. And sometimes that means taking a medication to help you break the cycle. And, and that's what, that's what I did. And that, that really helped me, you know, make that decision was her words of, of just needing to break that, that cycle. And I, you know, I did so many things before I started a medication and it was all to not take a medication. And it's crazy because the amount of money that I spent to get worse (laughs) is, it's sickening, actually. It's super sad, you know, because there are people still out there doing all of that when 
ideally you don't need it, right? But like, okay, right. so let's take Wesley, for example, with ADHD medication. Like I avoided for so long and we did manage with lifestyle when he was younger, but the last few years were so hard for him. Like it was hard for him to live. It was hard for him to learn. It was hard for him to make friends. His impulse control with me, like during the pandemic with virtual school, like it was it was so incredibly hard. I cannot even like verbalize how difficult that was for him and with him. And then finally saying like, you know what? I've tried everything that I can possibly try and this poor kid deserves a better life quality. I'm going to I'm going to get him medication and then being like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because I like he wasn't happy and he was getting worse with everything that I was trying to avoid. Right. And it was like, and now with medication to see how much easier all those other lifestyle things are because Mm -hmm. his body is able to in a more calm state kind of like take it in. And so I think like, even when it's not about anxiety, I think about all the people who are still out there thinking, demonizing some of this more modern stuff who could, when you blend it all together, how much more effective and, and helpful it can be. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just got super passionate about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I, I completely agree. And that was my experience too. And, and it's crazy because I, I remember, and also like the, the narrative was twisted as well. Like, like I, I heard from, or I, I was listening to people who, you know, we're in the wellness space, trying to help people with mental health struggles and demonizing medications and saying that you're going to, you know, you're going to end up spending so much money on medications. So just fix the root cause. And I spent a sickening amount of money on different practitioners, you know, each who had their own specialty, right? So someone would refer me to a doctor and for one thing I'd go to them and they'd have their specialty like heavy metals or Lyme disease or mold or whatever. And, you know, I'd go to this doctor to see them about one thing. And then I'd leave with them telling me I had this thing that they specialized in, which they of course thought everyone had. So, you know, so I, I ended up with like all these different diagnoses and, you know, different, you know, then I was put on different protocols and I was told to do different diet changes and different supplements and, and all of these different things. And then when I finally started a medication, (laughs) I filled the prescription and it was like $5, you know, it was like $5 and I, and it helped me. (laughs) And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I just, I just spent a fortune to get worse. And then this thing that helped me costs just a couple bucks. And it's, it's so disappointing, but it's so hard because there are so many stories of the opposite where people, you know, they have mental health struggles and they, you know, they've, they were put on more and more pharmaceuticals and then they did some specific lifestyle changes and they started to improve and they started to be able to wean off of different medications. And that's why I felt like the combo of the two really helped me because I've only ever needed the one medication. And for a long time, I was just on the lowest dose and I, I did end up increasing 
by just like five milligrams recently, which we can talk about a little bit later. I think there's a question about that later on in the, in, in the, in the podcast about, you know, pregnancy and postpartum and stuff. But yeah, so I, I just, I was mad at myself. (laughs) I ended up being really mad. And also that, you know, I, I know this is not technically on topic, but we, you know, we're in, in wellness, we're always being warned about, you know, having to, having to advocate for yourself with conventional medicine, but that can be the same case with wellness too, because I remember the doctor who, the last doctor that I saw, he was a Lyme doctor and he diagnosed me with Lyme disease, even though I, I don't think I even had it, but he told me I did. And he also said, I likely had some co-infections with Lyme disease. And that was probably causing my anxiety and depression. And I told him, I expressed to him like how I was feeling and how I wasn't doing well. And he was like, well, you know, you have to be careful with this co-infection, you know, as we're putting you on these herbals for, you know, to, to get rid of it, make sure Bill keeps an eye on you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, he basically he didn't want to say it, but he basically said that killing this co-infection could make me suicidal and told me to have Bill keep an eye on me. And I was like, I remember getting off of that phone call and being like, this is so irresponsible. Like he just told me that I could get, I could become suicidal from taking an herbal medication to try and clear this co-infection of Lyme disease. But like, he didn't tell me I should be monitored or I should be on like a medication or I should be seeing a therapist or, you know, and then, and then I always felt like I, I left these doctors, like they didn't, they didn't understand how bad I felt. Like they would be like, okay, well, you know, this is probably going to help your anxiety. Like this, this is like, this is the, you know, this is why you have anxiety. This your adrenals are, are fatigued. This is why you have anxiety. You have heavy metals. This is why you have anxiety. So all we have to do is get rid of this stuff or heal your anxiety or, you know, detox this or detox that. And, and then they would just send me on my way and there was no follow-up care. There was no checking in. And I had the same experience with my PCP, which I talked about in a, in a previous post when I was doing all of these natural things was that I had this experience and he told me all I could do was take a medication. He prescribed a medication and there was no follow-up. And so now I really advocate for people working with a psychiatrist if they're going to be using psychiatric medication, just because my experience with a psychiatrist is that they check in with you regularly and they want that follow-up and they want to make sure that you're doing okay. And they have you evaluated by a psychologist before, before treating you. So, but I think I got a little sidetracked back to your original question. I really can't do the extremes anymore. And I feel like it was more harmful than helpful for me. And I noticed myself feeling fearful that if I didn't do everything perfectly, I wasn't going to get better. So if I didn't detox perfectly, if I didn't cut out all of the sugar, all of the, you know, I, I, 
you know, everything was natural. Everything was like, if you couldn't eat it, it wasn't, it wasn't on my body or in my body or, you know, and I just felt like if I didn't do everything perfectly, then I wasn't going to get better. And it, you know, was something that contributed to my intrusive thought patterns and contributed to my anxiety and only made me feel like it also made me feel like a failure because I felt like I couldn't ever be that perfect, which I'm sure you've experienced those Mm -hmm. thoughts also. So it just ended up being this cycle of negative thoughts and disappointment in myself and, and more anxiety. I had a real aha moment as you were talking and it became so clear to me. And I think one of the things that I talk about a lot is CBT. And I loved reading that one of um, the things that you did was seek out a therapist for cognitive behavioral therapy, because what you explained doing in terms of kind of facing your fears, going into the grocery store and that kind of stuff is stuff that we do quite often with kiddo. And also Matt does for his anxiety and One of the things that kind of occurred to me as you were talking, because I think I also struggle with this concept of being in the wellness community and really wanting people to have autonomy and empowerment and the ability to know that there are some things that they can improve and control in their own life with lifestyle factors. And then also modern medicine exists for a reason and to not stress yourself out doing all these things, right? Like I'm so there with you. And I think the, the aha moment that I had in hearing you talk is that these wellness practitioners, so for example, you listed things like chiropractic care, acupuncture. I'm sure you probably had functional medicine doctors working on some other things, right? Like then you were doing guided visualizations and self-fertility massage and dietary changes, like all of these Mm -hmm. kinds of things, you know? And each one of those people was so focused on the root cause, which we care about in the wellness industry and is often very important for us to find, right? But so focused on root cause that they lost sight of the coping skills that you had developed over a lifetime because of whatever the root cause was. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think that that element of therapy and CBD is so important. And what I've seen in kiddo is that like, so for example, even if, uh, child entering foster care is now safe, right? Like they are with a licensed parent who makes sure that they are safe every day. That is not their lived experience and their lived experience of, you know, whatever trauma or neglect or, you know, hardships that they faced has them feel like it is impending and around the corner at every moment, even if they are assured time and time again that they are safe. And I think Mm -hmm you know, if I extrapolate that to kind of what we're going through, like, well, if we look at the root cause, like we can say, okay, well, the root cause is that you were being neglected in your original home. Now you're safe. It's fine. And then the doctors went away. No, that's not the case. Right. So it's like this root doctor identifying for you, even if you did have heavy metals being like, okay, you had heavy metals now we're going to detox and you're going to be fine. See you later. No, the, one of the real problems that most of us face is how we chose to cope with that through our lifetime of problems. Cause you said anxiety was an issue for you for a long time. And mm-hmm. so if you are, if you have developed 
coping mechanisms, for example, a panic attack to avoid these sort of things, that is your body's way of trying to keep you safe. As much as it felt frustrating in those moments, like truly that is what it is, right? Your body is telling you like, nope, not going to do that. That's not safe. And Mm -hmm. so you have to do the therapy. You have to work on these things with a practitioner or, you know, whether people are doing it on their own or, you know, in support groups or like whatever it is like that element of the work has to be done and cannot just be addressed with medication, nor can it just be addressed with root cause. But I think like when you were talking about wellness practitioners, just caring so much about root cause, it was really kind of like a light bulb moment for me of, right. But what about how you've learned to cope with that for a lifetime and that impacting things? Right. Mm -hmm. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This month is Mental Health Awareness, and I'm so grateful to Haley for sharing her story. Experiencing anxiety can manifest physically, and while it doesn't mean that those symptoms aren't absolutely real, it means no matter how much lifestyle tweaking you do, you won't necessarily solve it. That's where working with a mental health professional can help. Whatever your past experiences or preconceived notions you have about therapy, Finding the right therapist can be life-changing, and BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. As you hear Haley say, connecting with the right therapist via online sessions made all the difference in her well-being. Even if you feel great, think of therapy as preventative care, wellness for emotional health. Or consider how the last few years may have affected you. Many people are burned out without even knowing it. BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. The Whole View listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash wholeview. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash wholeview. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed. If hiring is a challenge, it's time for a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge. I personally got my big break back in ye olden days through Indeed. Had it not been for their ability to match candidates to the ideal role, my life would be very different. Indeed does the hard work for you. When you pay to post a job, Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post so that you can hire faster. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And now Indeed has virtual interview options to save you time. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. They're the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. So start hiring now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash wholeview. Offer good for a limited time. You can claim that $75 credit now at indeed.com slash wholeview. One more time, indeed.com slash wholeview. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
and this might be relative. I know it is for me, but you also did um, some therapy with TMJ and TMD. I know that I grind my teeth as a coping skill for my anxiety and um, frustrations. I wear a night guard, but it does little for me. And I am working on that and, you know, with, with doctors, both medically and in some other ways to release that tension. And I'm curious because I was I'm fascinated by it because it affects me. So I was reading about your experience with it. And you had said that a doctor you worked with told you that your adrenals would never be fully healed until you addressed TMJ. And so you knew to make it a priority for your recovery. I would have thought it was the opposite way around. Can you talk about that a little bit in your experience with that? Yeah. So for me in particular, my the TMJ that I had or the TMD was so severe that my jaw popped audibly when I ate. If you were sitting next to me, you would hear popping while I was chewing. And my jaw got so fatigued when I ate. It was challenging to eat. I was, I, en- I ended up like losing certain foods that I could eat because if they were too tough, it was just, I ended up with so much fatigue and pain in my jaw and it was exhausting. It was exhausting. Like my, it was exhausting my entire body. I felt tired all the time. And I, it was one of those things where I, I was like, I have to figure out how to fix this. I can't live like this. Like I, I just, I can't live my life having this much pain. So I ended up finding a neuromuscular dentist in the Pittsburgh area. And I went and had a consult with her and, and I, I felt like I was like teetering on the point of getting vertigo from how severe the TMJ was. And I was like, I really don't want to go down a path of having vertigo all the time. Like I, I noticed I would get a little bit of dizziness and I just didn't, like I would feel kind of like I was moving when I wasn't and that I felt like that was connected to my bite and just how severe my bite was. And I felt like a lot of the physical symptoms that like, so when I had gone to the wellness or the alternative doctors, the functional medicine doctors, and I had this list of um, symptoms that I had. Most of them were just anxiety that I didn't, I thought they felt so, you know, when, you know, anyone who's experienced severe anxiety knows how it just, it impacts you so physically. I mean, like my vision would get blurred. I would feel lightheaded from the heavy breathing. I would feel nauseated. My stomach would just completely not up. I I had trouble eating and there were just, I had so, so many physical symptoms that were a result of the anxiety. And once I started the medication and the therapy was working, a lot of those symptoms resolved, but I noticed that some of them weren't. And I thought that some of those symptoms were because of my jaw and just how severe the, the TMJ was. And it was really miserable. Like eating was miserable and you know how important food is to me and cooking for people and and enjoying food and eating was just getting more and more miserable. 
And so I found this neuromuscular dentist and I ended up doing a really, I would say like invasive protocol. I was in braces, but it was, it was pretty crazy because she completely moved my bone. So my jaw was overclosed and she moved all the bones to create space in my mouth and lengthen my jaw and resolve the overclosure. And so now my, my jaw doesn't click or pop at all anymore. I don't get, I mean, it, it literally resolved every, everything. It was crazy. And I was really, really grateful for that. And she, you know, she had told me, she knew that we were trying for a baby and she told me that, or we wanted to have a baby at that point. And she told me that there were people that came in who couldn't conceive and, once they fixed their bite, their hormones balanced and they were able to conceive. So, you know, she had her own, her own stories of miraculous things that happened when people fix their, their bite. So for her, even though she's a dentist, she still has that like a functional medicine mindset a little bit where she's, she's not technically a functional medicine doctor, but she's just seen a lot of, I guess, what you would say miracles happen from people fixing their bite. So that was, that was my experience. And it, it resolved a lot of the physical complaints that I had around my jaw and the, the discomfort and the pain that I had, but it didn't, it didn't, I didn't like miraculously get pregnant because I fixed my bite, but, but I did feel like it was another layer of helping helping my, my hormones heal. And I think I mentioned this in, in one of my posts, I'm not sure exactly which one, but I had gone for an annual exam shortly after I started medication. A few months after I started medication, I went to the midwife center here in Pittsburgh, which is where I, I go for most of my, most of my women's health care. And the midwife center is awesome. It's the largest freestanding birth center in the nation. And they really prioritize maternal mental health and women's mental health and black maternal health and just have a lot of support for, for pregnant people. And they are inclusive of, you know, of all people trying to conceive, all people, you know, with a uterus who need care. And I saw one of the midwives for an an annual exam and I had brought in my Dutch hormone labs that were so horrible. And I told her that I had started making, started taking a medication and I showed her all of my labs and I was like, these are really bad and my hormones are really bad. I don't, you know, and she said, I think once you've been, you know, now that you're on this medication and you're not in that constant state of fight or flight, I think you'll see that you just you just keep improving and your hormones will, will balance on their own. And I think like a year, was it a year after I started the medication? I'm not sure exactly how long after I started the medication, I took the, I did the Dutch labs again and my hormones were so much better. They had improved so much. It was drastically different. So that's why I said, I felt like I like my adrenals wouldn't fully heal until I resolved the issues in my jaw, just because it was so significant. It was very severe pain and discomfort every single day with every single meal. I'm curious kind of where you are now. And I know we mentioned this a little bit, but one of the things that 
I loved reading and I think was actually in that same post. We'll put links in the show notes for everybody. Um, is you talked about how you went through all of that with your first pregnancy, which ended up going through IVF to bring about your first child. And then this time, your second pregnancy, you were still nursing a 19-month-old day and night with disrupted sleep. The only supplements you were taking were prenatals and probiotics. You were doing vigorous workouts daily, which you had been avoiding before to prevent your adrenals from getting too stressed, and had spent your first experience as a mom going through a global pandemic, unable to see family or friends and didn't have any help. And it had been a long time since you had done, you know, anything like chiropractic and acupuncture care when you got pregnant on your own. And so I'm wondering now, where are you with that? But also like, how do you reflect back on that? Cause that's, that's huge. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's incredible. And I, I, I know, cause we've talked about it separately. Like that's just, it's something that the fertility clinic told you might happen, might expect that that happens sometimes. But I think also to give yourself credit, like it was night and day in terms of like where you were mentally entrusting your body in being able to kind of go forward. And I think that is, in my opinion, has a lot to do with how our bodies react, right? With how, how we treat them yeah. is how they react. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so hard when you're trying to conceive and it's not working and you're going through these fertility treatments. I mean, I remember, gosh, I remember Bill saying to me over and over again, he said, when our kids are here, you're going to know that, that they had to come the way they had to come. And, and I really like now I get that and I love that, but in the moment I couldn't hear it because there's no certainty when you want to start a family. And you're very aware of that when you're going through fertility treatments that there's no guarantees. And what I did for Isla was what basically what I, what I decided to do when we decided to go down the path of fertility treatments was I was like, I'm going to do what feels right to me. That's not feeling like I'm obsessing. So I really liked, I love my chiropractor. She specializes in pregnancy and newborns and she's helped me a lot with, I have scoliosis. She's helped me a lot and going there, I just feel really relaxed. So I tried to incorporate things that made me feel relaxed and calm. And I didn't expect that any of those things would make me become pregnant. So I didn't believe that acupuncture would, would be the reason that I was pregnant. I didn't believe that chiropractic care was, would be the reason that I became pregnant. I knew in my gut that IVF was going to be the reason that I became pregnant. Even when we decided to start fertility treatments, we first started with IUI. Bill and I were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. So that just means that you look great on paper, but you can't get pregnant and they don't know why. So they give you this 
diagnosis of unexplained infertility. So the doctor that I was seeing at the time said that we should start with IUI because Bill's sperm count was great and I had a really great ovarian reserve and everything looked fine. So she started me on uh, Clomid to produce follicles, so more eggs, and, and then they did an intrauterine insemination. So they take the sperm and they, I guess they like filter it to get the best sperm out of the sample. And then, and then they insert like a little catheter into your uterus and, and inseminate that way once you've triggered an ovulation. So we did for one cycle and that was right after my grandmother had passed away kind of unexpectedly. And we, we were with her in the hospital and hospice as she passed and we were moving at the time and I knew it was a horrible time, but I just wanted a baby so badly. So I didn't want to wait. And I had like three huge follicles. I had to sign a paper that was saying that I was okay with multiples, had a great sperm count for the insemination. And I was like, there is no way this is going to this can't result in a pregnancy. Like how can like three eggs and a giant and like a, a great sperm count, like how can that not result in a pregnancy? And it did not result in a pregnancy. And when that happened, I was like, I just knew that IVF was going to be the only way we had any chance of having a baby, but they want you to do Fertility doctors want you to do three IUIs before before transitioning to the, the next level of intensity with trying to get pregnant. So the second IUI that we did, I thought it was maybe a chemical pregnancy. So I'd gotten a, I tested before the blood test and I had gotten a super, super faint line. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I can't believe it happens. And when they tested me in office, my blood levels were like a five or something of HCG. So I was not pregnant, but I continued to get a, a super faint line even after my, my period started. So I felt like it was maybe like a chemical pregnancy or something. And it gave me a little bit of hope that maybe I would be able to get pregnant, but I still was not hopeful that IUI would be the path there. And then we switched clinics. The original clinic that I wanted to go to, they didn't take my insurance. And then when we were in the middle of, of our IUI process, they, they, they ended up, I think, being like bought out by the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And that's the medical insurance that we have as UPMC. So I was able to switch clinics because with a lot of times with insurance, Insurance will cover IUI, but they won't. They won't cover IVF in the United States. So, so we we were allowed to do three IUIs. We could have done more, but once you've done three, your chances of becoming pregnant with IUI start to decrease. So, after three, and by the third time of being on Clomid, it really was affecting my emotional well-being, that medication in particular. And I, I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. So we decided to move on to IVF. And, and that was actually a really exciting process for me, even though I knew that there were no guarantees. It felt like it was 
the most likely path to having a baby. And I was, I felt really excited and my body was doing awesome things during the stem protocol. So that's the, the process where you grow follicles for, to then be retrieved for to then be inseminated by the embryologist. So I, my body was doing really awesome during the stim protocol. I felt good. I didn't feel crazy like I did on the Clomid and it was, it felt really exciting to me. And then it was, it was after the transfer that things were a little bit rocky or I'm sorry, after the retrieval that things were a little bit rocky for me. And then after the transfer that things were really rocky for me emotionally, but you know, with like the self-fertility massage and the chiropractic care and the acupuncture, those were things that they just made me feel like I was doing something to help relax my body. And that was really the best thing that you could do to help with the process. And it's really hard. It's, it can be really lonely. If I know that a friend of mine or someone who's reached out to me on Instagram is going through IVF, I check in with them as much as they are comfortable with. I always make sure that they're comfortable with me checking in on them, but I always check in on them because it can be really, really lonely, really isolating. And, and a lot of times because of these hormones and the medications, you know, even someone who didn't have anxiety before can, can, can start experiencing anxiety or depression because of the medications and the hormones that you're on. And then a lot of times, which happened to me, which I told, which I was came completely unexpectedly was once I did get pregnant, I was then terrified and I was miserable. I was anxious all the time and it made me feel like I had made a mistake. And I remember reaching out to my fertility doctor and just saying, I don't feel good. I don't understand. Like I, this is something I wanted so badly. And now I feel like I've made a mistake. And, and she was like, you know, we, you know, this, this can be, can be a thing, but I don't really know because once people get pregnant, they don't share how they're feeling with me. And I, I was like, what? (laughs) That, that made me so sad that, that these people who are going through these really challenging medical procedures to start a family with so much loss, so much uncertainty are not sharing how they're feeling emotionally going through it. And that made me really sad and really concerned. And for that reason, I was really vocal about my experience emotionally going through IVF once we felt comfortable sharing that we were pregnant. So I, I stayed on my, I stayed on medication throughout pregnancy, throughout IVF my midwives and my fertility doctor, and I, I started seeing a, a perinatal psychiatrist in pregnancy, and all all of them recommended staying on medication. I had picked a medication that I knew was considered safe for pregnancy and breastfeeding when I started medication. So I stayed on that during pregnancy, and in the first trimester, I had to really up my tools and increase my therapy sessions because I had such a hard time. I felt better once I had weaned off of the 
estrogen and progesterone that you have to be on for an embryo transfer. And then at the end of pregnancy, I noticed an anxiety increase as well. And that was consistent this time. With Luke, it was less so in the first trimester because I had been through it before. And I also wasn't on extra estrogen and progesterone. So I felt like things were a little bit easier. And then the end of my pregnancy with Luke, because I had the trauma of preeclampsia with Isla, I was really, really triggered at the end of my pregnancy. So I had to up my tools again and my perinatal psychiatrist actually increased my Lexapro by five milligrams just to help me get through. She, she didn't, she was like, we don't want you white knuckling this to the end. And that made me really grateful that I had that care, that I had that psychiatrist that I was working with throughout pregnancy because, um, of my history with anxiety. So that was something that I knew was important to have in place for me to have a emotionally successful pregnancy and to be a good mom, you know, and make sure that I was able to give my kids the, the you know, the care that they needed because my care was, was being considered. Well, I'll say I've noticed that you seem happy, which is what we all want for people that we care about. Well, for really everybody, even people that I don't care for, I still want them to be happy. (laughs) Hopefully that helps them be a better person. But like, I noticed that you just, you have fun more, you know, or at least it comes across that way. Like I see your spirit being effervescent, right? It feels lighter and you make a lot of jokes on social media and have fun sharing about the kids and also your passion for, exercise and feeling confident and comfortable in your body and feeling like you are part of a community with your Peloton bike. This is not a Peloton commercial, but it is what you used. And I think, you know, for a lot of people going through the pandemic, that was also something that felt really, um, helpful for them. Right. But to see that from the first time you felt like, Oh, I can't trust my body physically, specifically with, with exercise, with movement like that. And then being able to later get into a near daily routine and having fun with the music and the community and, and all of that kind of stuff, I think is speaks volumes to the journey that you've been on and how you've embraced both the medical and wellness type community aspects of both mental and physical health and how when you can bring all of those elements together and just kind of try to ease into it a bit. Like I know that I've said, trust your body a lot, but I don't know how else to say this idea that our bodies are constantly out to betray us, sets us up for that to be the case, right? Like if we believe that our body is failing, if we believe that we can't do something, then that will be the case. And one of the things that Jen talked about, I don't know if she's ever mentioned this with you that I thought was really powerful, is also this idea of accepting. And it sounds like you went through this, at least with Isla, of accepting like, I am not fertile. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do otherwise. But this Mm -hmm. idea of like constantly fighting it and saying, I don't want to accept this. I'm going to do X, Y, Z over and over and over puts you in a state of 
like friction with yourself, you know, that, right. that, 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 that won't help anybody succeed. And so yeah. I love seeing that, that lightness in you and seeing that, that confidence, that trust in your own decisions about yourself. Like it, it comes across in such a wonderful way that also I think is super important for mothers to have that so that our children can see that, that they can do that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I acceptance is entrusting your body. I mean, that that's the best way to describe it because when I was in, in a bad place with my mental health, I felt like my body wasn't a safe place to be. And, and that's also how I felt, you know, on the path to getting pregnant with Isla was that I, I didn't trust my body. I didn't trust that I could get pregnant. And, and I'm not saying that like, if you do trust that you're going to get pregnant, then you, then you will, (laughs) you know, it's not, not that that type of conversation where, you know, I, I just had to trust that I would get pregnant. And I did, I, you know, when you, when you go down the path of, of trying to conceive and fertility treatments, you, you get told a lot of things by people who think they're, think they're helping. Like, you know, just when you stop trying, you'll get pregnant. If you adopt, you'll get pregnant. If you just relax, you'll get pregnant. You know, all of those, all of those things. And, and, but if, you know, if, if you know that the only way you'll get pregnant is through IVF, then if you can find a way to trust that you'll get pregnant through IVF, you know, hopefully that, that will help. But yeah, just that ability to, to trust my body made such a difference for me. And the acceptance was so key for all of my healing, because that's really what I'm doing with the exposure therapy that my therapist had me do was just accepting the uncomfortable. So in times where I've struggled with insomnia, just, I have just allowed myself to accept that I might not sleep. And that breaks that cycle. The end of my pregnancy with Luke was really hard with the fear of getting preeclampsia again. And then also I was really triggered by not knowing when he would be born and how to make sure Isla would have the care that she needed when I was in labor. This was going to be the first time I was away from her. She's a pandemic baby. I'm, I'm a, yeah. I'm I a remember pandem- being a new mom and, and having that and now being like, who's going to take my kids? Yeah. And then me being a pandemic mama, you know, I had only ever been with her. And after having to work so hard for her, and then also, you know, we I think we touched a little bit on, or you touched a little bit on like, you know, showing, you know, being a path different way forward for our kids and me wanting, like I've seen with myself, like I want so badly to set my kids up to not have not suffer the way I've suffered, you know? So, you know, I, I really try really hard to let them feel their feelings and, and not try and, you know, smother upset or, you know, stop, you know, difficult feelings and, and just trying to start now working through, you know, things that are, are tough. And it's, it's hard with a toddler because toddlers feel so big, but, 
it's, you know, it's just a constant, it's a constant practice for me and I'm trying to make it a practice with my parenting as well. So I just, I had these fears that like I was going to leave her and she was going to think that I was abandoning her and she wasn't going to be able to go to sleep because I wasn't there to nurse her to sleep and I wasn't there to hold her. And, um, and I was terrified that like it was going to traumatize her and she was going to end up with horrible anxiety just like me. So it was really triggering for me at the end of my pregnancy. And I had to do a lot of work with that acceptance of this might be a hard couple days while I'm in labor and I'm, you know, in the hospital, but it's temporary and it's going to be okay. And I kissed her goodbye going into the hospital. I had a 39 week induction, which was something that I chose for myself, even though I didn't have any signs of preeclampsia again, I chose a 39 week induction to help prevent developing preeclampsia again. And I kissed her goodbye and I started crying and she was watching a movie in the car and she could care less that I left and Bill stayed with her. My, my sister came with me to the hospital to support me during the start of my induction and Bill stayed with Isla and she like didn't even care that I was gone. She did totally fine. This she is was... totally what we, what we discover about ourselves as parents. Like, yeah. like it, you've done a good job when your kids don't care, but at the same time you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's been that whole experience all over again, because now that Luke is here, when I first came back from the hospital, I was really committed to still putting Isla to bed every night because I wanted, I, I wanted her to have that same routine as, as, you know, she adjusted to having a baby in the house. And now that he's been here for two months, Bill has started putting Isla to bed. And now that's their like special time together where he does bath with her and he puts her to bed. And I get so sad because it was, you know, now it's their special thing, which is so great. And she's thriving with it. You know, she does really well. And again, it's like another thing where I was like, but I've always nursed her to sleep. I've always rocked her to sleep. Like she's, she's not going to be able to do it without me. And, and she doesn't even care. <laughs> she's totally fine. My mother-in-law like, had a really great line that I like to think of and remember, which is that your kid's not going to go to college needing to nurse to sleep. Your kid's not going to go to college, not potty trained. Cause in the moment it feels like, it has to continue or it's never going to end or like all these feelings when you're trying to do difficult parenting things. Yeah. And I think that was another way for me to kind of like trust that things happen on their time that me expecting my child to potty train when it was convenient or wanting of me and not when they were ready was an unreasonable expectation. But I think it's, it's the same kind of thing. And I think also I love this idea that it's allowed Bill to develop a special relationship with his daughter that he didn't get before because I know how special that was for Matt that he didn't really have that same kind of connection with Cole because he didn't stay home with Cole but when I went back to work with Finn and Wesley and I was pumping instead of nursing and he was the one giving the bottles he said that's when he really truly like had his own connection and relationship with the boys because 
that was when he got to kind of be the provider that we're used to being. And so I love that Bill is, is developing that with Isla. Not that he wasn't before, not, not just Matt, but also Bill, like they're, both of them are great dads, but that I think that it's special when they have like their own connection or their own routine of some kind that is unique from us. Like, and it just, it gets better with time. And I know that you've probably heard that so, so often, but it's as your children develop their own personalities, right. And, And Isla's coming into that, but not nearly as much as she will when she's a kindergartner and like all these things, right. When they, when they start to have their own interests and their, their own kind of things and you, you learn about them as a friend and you, they start driving what these habits are or what these different kinds of things that they want to establish. It's, it's just magical. And I know you've met my grumpy teenagers, but it's a phase. (laughs) (laughs) They move through it. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's been good too, you know, which this is like a, a whole other podcast topic, but you know, the part, the postpartum period is, is really challenging for a multitude of reasons. And one of them is, you know, the, the parent who is the non-birthing, non-lactating parent, it can be really tough for them. And Bill has kind of, you know, he's, he's been challenged twice now, you know, with when Isla was born and now when Luke was born, where he, he gets upset because he feels like they're like, where, like, where does he fit in? You know, because my experience with, with having a baby is that, you know, the baby comes out and I'm just all about the baby. Like I only have eyes for the baby and I'm focused on feeding the baby and, you know, what, whatever the baby needs. And, and Bill ends up expressing that he really misses me and he feels like he can't help with anything and or there's little that he can help with besides you know diaper changes and and cooking which is incredibly helpful but now that we have two and we have a toddler who has different needs and he has you know he has the special time with her at night he absolutely loves doing bath and putting her to bed. And it's this time where he can really shine and really feels like he is need is needed in a way. And he's, you know, he's come down from putting her to bed at night and been like, I tried to leave. And then she wrapped her arm around me and, and, and like wanted me to snuggle her. And, and it just meant so much to me. And, and, and now like Luke is, is getting out of the, you know, the phase where he, he won't let Bill help when he's, you know, crying. And that's, that's been something that's happened with, you know, with Isla and now Luke is that like when they're super little, they, you know, they have a a tough time letting Bill help calm them down. And, And he just, he ends up getting frustrated because he wants to help and then he can't. And, you know, so the, the change is really nice to see with, with Bill. And it's something that you don't, like you don't expect, like it adds a whole other challenge to postpartum and, you know, mental health in the postpartum period, because, you know, there's, there's unexpected challenges that come, you know, with a relationship too, because there's just so much change and everyone's trying to figure out their place and, and how, how it's all going to work out. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with it all. And I'm 
glad that we're able to have a conversation about how positively and wonderful things are going. I recognize that there might be some listeners whose journey didn't end that way. And I hope that I speak for both of us in saying you are not alone. And we care deeply about the challenges that you might be facing. And hopefully our discussion today is at least helpful in some of the ways in which you can lean on tools to cope with whatever it is that you might be going through. And if you want to hear more about the can of worms question that I led with that started off our conversation in a kind of Debbie Downer spot, recognizing now that it didn't make for a great way to start the show for us to have that mindset, <laughs> but now we're ending with giggles. Head on over to patreon.com slash the whole view. And that is also the best place to ask questions. If you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. And so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're using so that others can find us too. And if you'd like to connect more with Haley, you can visit her personal social at Haley Mason and that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y Mason on Instagram and of course you can find everything on primalpalette.com including their spices their food social app their books and their main primal palette Instagram and other social media as well did I miss anything Haley I don't think so okay well thank you so much listeners and I'll be back again next week the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.